Well, we have um, a family member who's getting ready to head down to a foreign land. So, Elise, will you come on up? This is Elise and John's last Sunday here. John, her husband, is working at the track Teen, Re Teen Reach Adventure Camp for foster kids. So, Elise, uh, share what's happening with you, and then, and then we're sure. going to pray for you. So it's not quite as foreign as the last time. Um, Gary was mentioning this is our second last Sunday. <laughs> um, John and I have considered Harvest our, our church home for about 11 years now. And a couple years ago, well, about seven years ago, God called us to medical missions. And we said no. <laughs> and God made us. And we're so glad he did. And we're so glad he didn't allow us to be complacent. And it's just been kind of an amazing um, path that we've walked on that many of you have walked on alongside us and supported us and built us up over the years. So um, we returned about a year ago from um, a two-year time in the island of Dominica down in the West Indies. And we didn't know we were coming back. We didn't know we we had expected to come back for a couple months and go back down there and um, that my husband could finish his medical studies and I could finish my missions work and continue leading the, the organization that I was the director of. And and um, all that was kind of just pulled from us really abruptly. And um, we are kind of coming out now of just um, probably one of the, the roughest seasons in our lives, um, for sure, just of... Um, complete quiet from God. The only direction that we received from him is we were um, in the middle of an adoption when we, um, actually pretty close to the end of an adoption when we um, returned from Dominica. And the only direction that we know was was directly from God was to um, to stop that. And he had he brought in someone else to take that little baby we'd been matched with who was um, from Dominican um, culture who would be better um, able to raise that little baby boy and um, that was the and that was kind of happened in a miraculous um, circumstances and so we know that that was directly from God but other than that we've had um, no no directions from him and I think that's the hardest um, thing when you you feel like you're on a path you feel like you're doing good work we felt like our ministry was really flourishing um, that John was just in his wheelhouse and and loving getting to do medicine and getting to do community clinics and things. And um, so we we kind of entered a period um, initially of just really questioning um, not God and what he was doing, but, but our interpretation of him, that maybe we had misunderstood or that we were um, not following what he wanted us to do, or maybe that, that was just the end of a dream and, and that God wanted us on that path for a minute, and now we're going to do something else. But we were never able to quite like reestablish roots here, and we just continually felt kind of just this tug. And so John decided that he would try to reapply to get back into med school this last year. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, applying to med school is a very um, expensive and lengthy and long um, process. And we poured a lot of money that we didn't have um, into that this last year, kind of out of desperation that God, you told us you're, that you want us to do medical missions. And and we feel like that's what we need to keep doing. You know, you gave us a job and we're just going to have to keep going on that path until you give us something new to do. And we didn't feel like even though we were pulled out, we didn't feel like we had anything new to do. So we that's all we could think of to do to continue pursuing that. And, you know, after denial after denial, um, we kind of felt like, you know, we had some options that we could spend more money and apply to more schools or apply to different programs. And, and we just kind of sat and prayed about it. And we felt like, you know, 
Um, we do not feel like we should be spending any more of our resources or any more of our money on applying to med school and that um, we need to just wait and, and pray and, and figure out what we need to be learning about our character and development in this, this moment and less about, God, what are you wanting us to do? What's our next job? What's our assignment? And more, what do you want us to change in our hearts? What do you want us to develop and, and grow and, and focus on in kind of this time of isolation and transition and boundary of, of there's nothing. There was nothing for us to do. And that's such a hard place for me, especially to be in when I don't have a job to do. And um, so we learned it's less about what we can do for God and more about what he wants us to become and the character he wants us to develop. And so that was really, really hard growth process for us this last year. And um, one day, a couple months ago, John gets this call and and he had applied to the this med school down in San Francisco. And they invited him to apply to this other kind of in-between program where um, it's kind of like junior med school, I guess. And if you get in um, and if you, you do well, then you transfer straight into the the doctor of osteopathy program and so um it was free to apply to and it was an invite only program and so he's like well it's free and then so i'll just go ahead and let him know sure i'll take i'll accept your invitation and um they came back and invited him about four weeks ago (laughs) to um to their program down in the um san francisco area and so um, God kind of tends to do that with us. We had a, a one-month notice to move to Dominica. We had a one-week notice to move back to the States. So now we've had a one-month notice to move to San Francisco. And so we've been rushing to do all of those things. And um, in the midst of that, um, I was looking for just, you know, we for me, church community is really important. And, and, and my, my church is really a big part of my own kind of formation in my, my relationship with God is I need other people to remind me of truth because I get pretty twisted. And so I need other people to remind me of my identity in Christ. So I knew it was really important that we'd find a new church right away. So I've been researching churches. And then we started to um, just recognize the realities that San Francisco is an incredibly expensive area to live in. And on financial aid, that's just not possible. So I realized that I needed to find a job. So I started looking for jobs. I looked in Craigslist and looked for nonprofit jobs. That's where most of my experience is in. And lo and behold, this church that I'd already kind of pegged that seemed a lot like Harvest was looking for a worship pastor. <laughs> so I applied. They flew me down there last week. And um, it went wonderful. And so they've offered me um the the worship and community pastor position there so I've, I'm going to get to do that and John's going to get to go back to med school and um, we are moving on Tuesday so um, it's all very very fast John's at track he gets back tonight we're going to pack up a U-Haul tomorrow well he's probably going to dictate and I don't think he'll have energy to to pack <laughs> at least I'm, I'm like not expecting it so um, right now the biggest thing we need prayer for is of course transition just that we can assimilate and that our kids now they're older. So now it's, it's a harder transition for them to be leaving their friends. And, um, and then we don't have a place to live still. I mean, we, we immediately started looking, of course, and, um, short notice, we, um, none of the apartments had spots for us. Um, we don't have great credit because John's a med student. Um, and, we don't have rental references because we are living out of the country. So there's kind of all these things that are combining together that are making an impossible situation that I know that that will mean that God will be glorified when we finally do get a house. So 
we're just going down. We have to leave. John has to report to school. And um, we're just praying on faith that God will bring us a house somewhere to live. And um, that's what we could could use prayer for from you guys. So, thank you. I'd like to invite um, any of you who would love to come up here and lay hands on Elise and a couple, two or three of you to pray. So, we'll pray for John and Elise and Solvay and Lincoln. So, a couple of you pray. Have faith in God. Do I say to you, whoever says this mountain, take up the cast of the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that, that what he says is going to happen, will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and ask and believe, that you will have uh, received them, and they will be granted to you. Lord, I just thank you for Elise and uh, God's uh, faith in you and in his heart. Thank you for um, just showing them that you know exactly what you're supposed to do for them and um, just continue to strengthen their, their trust in you as they go down to San Francisco. Um, I know that man's ways are ordained by the Lord, so how can we understand it? And so I pray that they just know that when they go down there, I might be something I know there's something different. Who knows what? I just pray this would be a more kind of step and just have um, stronger trust. God, we just pray that you would be preparing the way um, for Rose, for Waldo, as we're preparing to go. Jesus, that um, you'd be preparing the hearts and minds of people that they will meet as they go along the way. And when they get there, Jesus, we pray for this body of believers, that they would be just uh, welcomed with open arms and that they would feel at home. And we pray for uh, John as he starts school again, Jesus. We pray for people around him that know you, that love you. And Jesus, we pray for um, just clear, clear guidance. Jesus, we know that um, so often we do just need um, to sit in silence and wait. And that is difficult. But Jesus, we also know that you have known from the beginning of time all of us. You have known our past. And Jesus, I ask, I pray that you would help John and Elise to take comfort in that, that you are mighty, that you are holy, and that your purpose is to bring glory to yourself, and that um, I thank you for Elise and John for letting us be uh, walking in that. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we acknowledge your great, merciful, sovereign care over John and Elise. We're trusting in, in, in you completely for your good work in their lives. It's been painful and good all at the same time, and it's, you've grown them, and you've been providing for them, and 
I thank you, Father, for just opening this new opportunity for them as they continue to pursue your, your mission and their desire, Father, to serve you in medical missions. Still so much that lays ahead of them that they're rising and sitting down, they're lying down, they're moving, is all in your hands. So they've entrusted themselves, their lives into your hands. We're painfully going to miss them again, and we are looking forward to hearing how you work in their lives. We, we give them to you. We, we pray that you be glorified by, by their lives and by, Father, how you continue to grow them up in you. Cause them to bear good fruit for your kingdom. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Brenda is a Christian who worked at a cell phone store with Ginger. She had invited Ginger to come to her church. She didn't know at the time that Ginger struggled with severe depression. At one point, Ginger decided to commit suicide by jumping off a bridge. As she neared the spot she planned to jump from, Brenda called her. Ginger took it as a sign from God and turned her car around and checked into a hospital. Several people from the church visited her. Some, someone gave her a book with the title Gospel in the title. And when her doctor, who happened to be a Christian, came in, he saw the book. So this led to a conversation, a lengthy conversation, about how you can have hope in Christ. And Ginger found Jesus while lying in the hospital recovery room. Fast forward some months, Ginger just recently got back from her third mission trip to India. And she's thinking that she needs to, to join a church planting team in India. Today we're going to consider the way that God has designed that people come to believe the gospel and are saved. But in the context of our study in Romans, and we've been in Romans now for a bit, in the context of Romans, we're also going to consider how many of those who should have been first in line to believe the gospel have not believed it. Paul's overriding concern in chapters 9 through 11 has been for his own people, the Jews, since the majority of them failed to believe the gospel. Earlier in chapter 10, he said that they had a zeal for God, but that it was not based on knowledge of that saving righteousness only comes from God. They relied on their own righteousness and did not submit to God's righteousness. That is the righteousness that comes by faith. And then also in chapter 10, he argued that the message of righteousness by faith is not something far away and difficult to find, but it's close at hand. The very message that he, that Paul preached was the saving message of Christ. It can be summed up in the words of Joel 2.13, 2.32 that he quotes in verse 13 of chapter 10 of Romans. That Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This leads Paul in verses 14 to 21 of chapter 10 to address the issue of how can people call on one whom, in whom they have not believed. And was the problem with Israel 
their unbelief was it that they had not heard the gospel. So I invite you to stand. We're going to read from verses 14 to 21 of Romans chapter 10. See how Paul addresses these things. Romans 10 verses 14 to 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Father, we ask your grace, through your spirit, to see the glory of Christ in this text, strengthen our faith in him, and to be aware of how you have sent us into the world for the sake of the gospel. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So looking at verse 14 and beginning of verse 15, we have this process that Paul lays out. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So Paul's saying the problem is they won't call on Jesus for salvation if they have not believed on him. So they've got to believe in him to call on him for salvation. Uh, they won't believe in Jesus if they haven't heard of him. They won't hear of Jesus without someone preaching, and they won't preach to unbelieving people unless they are sent. Although Paul is focusing on Israel, what he says here applies to how anyone of any ethnic group gets saved. The process begins with someone being sent to preach or to declare the message of Jesus. Jesus often referred to the fact that he was sent by God the Father. In fact, he frequently just called God the one who sent me. So he who sent me. Jesus said he was sent to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He said in, as he prayed to the Father that he accomplished the work that God had sent him to do. He said also in prayer to God that as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, his disciples, into the world. And he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As Jesus' followers, we are sent into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's in our DNA. It's who we are. We're, we're designed for that from, from new birth forward. It's not something that we graduate to at a later stage of growth in Christian life. We are sent from the time God saves us. The whole church of Christ is sent into the world, not just a few highly trained professionals. Whatever you do, Wherever you go, you are sent as Jesus' representative. You are a carrier of the gospel. You're a carrier, and you're contagious. 
as a, ch- a church's health is not determined by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. What has Jesus sent you to do? You know what, what he sent you to do? In the story of Ginger, uh, Brenda, her fellow church members, and uh, the, the doctor all filled the roles for which they were sent for the gospel. And now Ginger had joined the ranks of those who were sent. Every Christian is sent by Jesus to leverage his or her opportunities and passions to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the gospel. For God's mission. Whether you're a mother or a manager or a marketing representative or a mechanic or a medical worker or a student in the mil- or in the military, you are uniquely sent to bless others for God's glory and to make connections with the gospel. Now we have examples in our body, uh, good examples of those who have pursued their passions for the glory of God for the sake of his mission. So just to name a few, and I'll leave tons out, but just to name a few, um, we have Cindy Lunn, who has instigated the Teen Reach Adventure Camps for foster kids, and so that's why some people are going doing that this weekend. We have um, Matt Eldridge, who has intensified our connection with Young Life. Randall and Sidney Griffin started a, a, a Bible study in their neighborhood. The Andrew Jeskies and, and have started Harvest Kids. Uh, Joy Richter and other students got uh, Stories Week going at the high school. And Sarah Deal is teaching missionaries' children in Tanzania. And on and on we could go. We're not without examples of those who have pursued their passions for, for the sake of God's mission. In saying every Christian is sent into his or his own life and work context as a representative of Jesus, we don't mean that all day long you're talking about Jesus, especially if you're in a secular work environment. Um, but, but you're to think like a missionary because you are one. Living and working winsomely for God's glory among them, loving them as Jesus would, knowing your culture, in wisdom, building bridges for the gospel. In fact, in our increasingly post-Christian culture that we live in, less and less people are, are assuming that you go to a church to get spiritual answers. So the only hope that many are going to have of connecting with Jesus is through you, where, in places where you live and work and, and go to school. And in getting the gospel into the nations, the least reached peoples among the nations, you can't get there in a missionary visa. So the only way to get into many countries to stay with the gospel is to um, go in as a, as, as a professional, with a business or trade, uh, educational, agricultural, scientific, medical, or other professional service. So it's, it's taking what you do for, for your, your enjoyment, for your work, and your family life, and using it for the gospel. So last Several weeks ago, we had the Pringles here, Dan and Tara Pringle and their family. They're just, what I love about them is they're great people, but they're, but they're normal, relatively speaking. They're just a normal family, and they, they leverage their, their skills and their passions to, to do cross-cultural work overseas. And so that led them to um, a, a Middle East, Middle Asian country, 
where they served in communications and information technologies, and now they're in Spain uh, doing business support work for workers in North Africa, for Christian workers. Have you talked to God about how your career plans or your retirement plans, how they should be leveraged for the sake of the gospel? Um, we have a group here called the Incredibles. They thought they could retire. They're doing a lot of work for the, the home sending base here, keeping the building up. The church is not the building, but the buildings are nice. And it's nice to keep them in good shape. So leverage your retirement for the sake of the gospel, for God's people. You don't have to go overseas to reach internationals, even those who are from least reached nations. They may be your coworkers or your neighbors. During the school year, you can go to Friday night gatherings in downtown Portland uh, at First Baptist Church and eat meals with those who need to work in their English. Many of them are from um, least reached people groups among Asian nations and Middle Eastern countries. What Paul is saying is that unless someone speaks the message of Jesus to an unbeliever, the unbeliever will not hear of Jesus, won't believe in him, so won't call on him, and will not be saved. All of us are sent with the good news and can share it in sending others by prayer and finances to go where we don't, aren't, aren't equipped to go, aren't called to go ourselves. So we're all sent and we're all senders. And that's why Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 in the latter part of verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So in Isaiah's day, uh, these words applied to the good news that the exile of the Jews in Babylon was over and people could return to the land of Israel. Now this deliverance from exile is our deliverance from exile and sin, and so it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The reference to feet emphasizes the sending and going of those who proclaim the good news. That the feet are beautiful has nothing to do with whether you've had a pedicure or not. It has to do with the beauty of the message that you're sharing. The beauty of the good news and the obedience of the messenger who delivers the message. Anywhere you go with gospel intentionality to both show the gospel and share the gospel, whether across the street or across an ocean, you do with beautiful feet. because you're making known the beauty of Christ. That, that leads Paul to, to address the issue is, why, do, why doesn't everybody just believe? I mean, this is a beautiful message. We desperately need salvation, so why doesn't everybody just believe it? In verse 16, he starts talking about that, that they have not all obeyed the gospel, he says. And since Paul's burden in chapters 9 through 11 is the unbelief of his fellow Jews, that's who he's referring to when he says they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. To obey the gospel is to believe it, is to answer God's summons to believe in His Son. Saving faith is, is a faith that obediently submits to God's way of salvation by faith in His Son. In fact, Paul said that he was granted grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Paul quotes from Isaiah 53.1, Lord, who has believed our message? Isaiah 53 is the most detailed, explicit prophecy in, in the scriptures of, of the death, the suffering, and the, and the rising to life again of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
Isaiah said many didn't believe the message in his day, so 600 years prior to Paul. And Paul is experiencing the same thing in his day, rejection by many of the message of salvation by a crucified and resurrected Messiah through faith alone in him, not by one's own efforts. And then he summarizes what he's talking about in verse 17. Verse 17 where he says, So faith comes by hearing, from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Even though many rejected and still reject this message, yet the only way any can be saved is by hearing and believing the word of Christ. The only way anybody can be saved is by hearing and, and believing the word of Christ, which is the message of his death and resurrection for our salvation and that he is Lord over all. As Paul said back in verse 9, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he's not made it impossible. He's made it quite simple. But many still reject the message. But there is no other way to be saved but by hearing and believing the message about Christ. There is no plan B. We don't adjust the message because people don't believe it. We trust God will grant saving faith through the message. As he says, faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. If you have a disease for which the only cure is a certain medication, but you don't believe it, and you choose to find your own way of, of getting a cure, then it doesn't matter what you believe about the cure if it's not the only medication that's going to cure you. Uh, it does no good to alter the message about what the true cure is. A responsible doctor won't adjust his message. And then in verse 18, uh, Paul's further asking, have they not heard? Is that the problem? Maybe they haven't heard. Have the Israelites not heard the gospel? He uses Psalm 19, verse 4, which talks about the worldwide witness of creation. So the, the, voice, the voice of creation has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He's, he's using that to uh, talk about the worldwide spread of the gospel. Which doesn't mean every person has heard the gospel, but a remnant of Jews and Gentiles, a remnant of Jews and many Gentiles of many nations have, have believed. So Israel has heard the gospel. The gospel came to the Jews first. Jesus preached and did miracles among them for, for three years. So they had really good exposure to Jesus. And after he was raised from the dead and sent the Spirit and the apostles preached, the first several thousand believers were Jews. So Israel has heard the good news. The book of Acts records the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem throughout Israel and then to the surrounding nations. It has continued to spread among the nations, although there are still 6,600 unreached people groups in the world. So we still have some work to do. So he brings a witness in in verse 19. Has Israel not understood? Well, yes, or at least they have no excuse for not understanding. Not, not understanding what? what? What did they understand? Or what should they have understood? That the Gentiles would receive the Lord's favor, that God would save the Gentiles, with the result that the Jews would be jealous of what God does for them. That's what he says uh, in quoting from Moses. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation I will make you angry. Paul quotes from the Song of Moses from Deuteronomy 32. In the Song of Moses, God reveals that Israel will be unfaithful to God 
so that he disciplines them by putting them under the domination of the Gentiles. For that reason, the Song of Moses was immediately pulled from iTunes. Which, as you know, back in the day was Israel tunes. Thank you. Just checking to make sure you're easily offended by tons. Israel made God jealous by serving other gods, so he will make them jealous with those who are not a people blessed by God, a people they would consider ignorant, people who didn't have God's wisdom. He will make them angry with a foolish nation. That's people like us. By applying this text to his day, Paul is saying that Israel is accountable for not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and that in judging them, he is having mercy on the Gentiles. So he, he judges his own people and he has mercy on the Gentiles. What's up with that? As Paul said back in chapter 9, God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Yet, God has not made it hard for them to be saved. As he said in Back in, earlier in chapter 10, the word is near you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple. Why insist on your own way when it just brings judgment? Why insist on your own way when God free, freely, God freely offers salvation? It's free. It wasn't free to him. It cost him the life of the son, but for us it's freely given. What should have been for their for Israel's joy instead makes them jealous and angry as they see the Gentiles turning to God. You know the story of the prodigal son? It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son where uh, the younger son says to his dad, hey, give me all my stuff. And his dad gives him all, all, all his inheritance. And he sends off, he spends all his money on wine, women, and song, and he ends up eating with pigs and longing to be fed on the pods that they were eating. And he finally decides this is... Not a good deal, so I'm going to go back home and come back as a, as a slave laborer, as I'm not worthy to be the son of my father anymore. So he comes back to his dad, and before his before he even gets there, his father joyfully embraces him, um, puts a ring on his finger, put, gives him the best robe, kills the fatted calf, has a great feast, has a party for him, and everybody's celebrating except his older brother. And his older brother says. Hey, I've been faithful. I've been a good guy all these years. Why didn't you ever provide me a party like that? And he says, we had to celebrate because my son was dead and now he's come back to life. So Israel is like the older brother, um, grumpy at the fact that God's being gracious to the Gentiles. In fact, I've seen this in, in, in a certain way over the years uh, where you have, have you ever had a conflict in your marriage? Well, there, you need to reality check here. There are some, it's been told that some people have conflicts in marriages. And sometimes one spouse is godlier than another, so I don't know how that works in your household. But uh, I've seen where one is being really ungodly, and then they, they, they actually repent and start changing for the better. And then the one who is godly, gets grumpy about it, and they don't celebrate their repentance. It's like, I'm not going to believe that, and then they become the troublemaker. So that's what Israel was going through with um, being grumpy about the Gentiles being saved. 
Now, in chapter 11, Paul will say that he wants to, his fellow Jews to become jealous so that some might be saved. He wants to use jealousy to, to get them saved, but, but that, that happens in chapter 11. Right now, he's just saying, hey, they're accountable for rejecting the gospel because the word of God said you're going to do this. And so in verse 20, chapter 10, he, um, he calls Isaiah to the witness stand, the prophet Isaiah, to show that God would save the Gentiles while Israel would turn away from, from him. He says Isaiah is bold to confront Israel's apostasy, rejection of God. And in his day, um, God's, God said, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. This is like what he said back in chapter 9, verse 30. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is the righteousness that is by faith. The Gentiles were not seeking God, but found him. They didn't ask for him, but he showed himself to them. God had mercy on the Gentiles, on the nations and peoples who sought out other gods. By his grace, he revealed himself to us Gentiles and drew them to himself. Maybe some of your stories are like that. Maybe some of your stories are, hey, I wasn't looking for God. Uh, maybe you were, you were just living for the things of the world. You didn't think you needed God other than when you got yourself into trouble or were sick or had some kind of crisis. Then you, you might ask for his help. And when, you, when the crisis is over, then you're done with God. Don't need him anymore. But at some point, maybe you felt empty. And you realize that life is meaningless. And the things of this world don't provide lasting satisfaction. In fact, they, they can ruin you. Or maybe, maybe a loved one died and you needed to make sense of life. Someone shared the gospel with you and you realized only Jesus could give you true life, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So Paul sees Isaiah's words being fulfilled in his day. They have continued being fulfilled in our time as more and more people, groups around the globe who were worshiping other gods or, or no gods at all, are finding Jesus Christ in surprising ways. God is revealing himself through those he sends with the gospel to those who did not ask for him. So God's good for doing that. But in verse 21, he says, But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God is constantly, continuously reaching out to his people Israel, but they are a disobedient and contrary, an obstinate, a resistant, a rebellious, a defiant people. His own chosen people were that. Isaiah prophesied Israel would reject their Messiah. God said in his word that they would disobey the message of the gospel. At the same time, Paul clearly says they have no excuse God holds them responsible, even though they, he revealed through Isaiah that they would obstinately, defiantly reject his saving message. Yet God has not given up on Israel. God has not given up on Israel. You can hear God's unfailing love, his undying longing for his obstinate people to turn to him. All day long, I'm reaching out my hands to a contrary people. I'm, I'm I'm continuing to call out to them, crying out for them to, to turn back to me through the gospel. The Lord is patient. The Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
So God has had mercy on the Gentiles by revealing his saving mercy to them through the gospel. And God mercifully continues to reach out to his people Israel, even though they were rejecting Christ, the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of the law and the prophets. So they should have known, but God continues to reach out to them. We, we, we like it. We often like it when God is merciful to those who are flagrant sinners. We love the stories of, hey, I was up messing up my life. I, I was into this and that and the other thing bad. And God turned me around and he saved me. And we love those stories and they're great stories. And I'm glad when God does that. And he's done that for several of you. But we often don't like it when he is merciful to the religious ones who should know better. Hey, he should have known better. So God doesn't owe him anything. Well, God doesn't owe us anything, that's for sure. But he's still merciful to, to um, rebellious religious people. God still reaches out to gospel-rejecting religious people, just as he's reaching out to irreligious people. So when you see church people who should know better, being obstinate, if you catch me at doing that, pray for me. Because it's, it's no fun to have a pastor who's that way. Or maybe you do enjoy it, I don't know. When you see church people, when you raise someone up under the faith in your own family, when you when you know they've, they've, they've had the gospel and they should know better, uh, don't give up on them. God continues to reach out to them. All day long, he's reaching out to a disobedient and contrary people. Know that God continues reaching out to you, longing for your repentance. If you are that one, let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your long-suffering, deep, deep love for your people, Israel. We're grieved that so many of them have not recognized their Messiah has come and that he's coming again and that in between his two comings is a day of salvation where you freely offer them life and righteousness through the gospel, through Christ who took on our humanity, who obeyed in our place, who died suffering separation from you for our sins. He died for our salvation. He was raised again in mighty victory over sin and death. He's a mighty and merciful Savior, and we're so thankful, Father, that you reached out to us, that when we didn't know any better, we were just completely lost. You saved us and made us your people. Thank you, Father. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be tenderizing our hearts all the more toward the glory of Christ and his gospel. And, that, and Father, that we would recognize that we are, because you have united us to Jesus, the great sent one who is the great sender, that we are sent with the gospel to our neighbors and to our family members and to our co-workers and to our fellow students and to the nations. Father, continue to cause us to be zealous for getting the gospel out. Father, to be in community with the gospel, to be in, in our places of work with the gospel, to be in our schools with the gospel, to be among the nations with the gospel. We ask this in Christ's name.